As amazing as Thanksgiving is, I always found Thanksgiving, especially here in America, to be a little ironic. Um, we have this special day where we create intentional space to be thankful. We surround ourselves with family and friends and the people that we love the most. We eat and we drink way too much, but it's so much fun. We tell stories, we laugh, we update each other on each other's lives, and we remember all the things that we're truly grateful, even the things that we take for granted. And for one day, at least one day in the year, we stop wanting we stop needing. We stop complaining about, about the things that we don't have. We're content. We're grateful. And it's enough. And then midnight hits. And everything changes. Black Friday transforms us back into primal beasts. This deep contentment and gratitude that we cultivated on Thanksgiving. That feeling that it's enough. That I don't need to want or need anymore all of a sudden goes out the window, and all of a sudden, we don't have enough, right? We go from being grateful for what we do have to becoming hyper-aware of everything that we don't, and we go from being content and not wanting to being driven by a compulsion for more, only in America, and we'll do anything to get it. In fact, we'll wait ungodly hours in line for the store-wide sale. We'll stay up all night by the keyboard waiting for the clock to hit zero, trying to get the best deals, and people will literally trample over other human beings just to get a few bucks off of a microwave. I don't know if you've seen the videos. Walmart is a death zone on Black Friday. People have literally died. Unfortunately, there's even a website that's called Black Friday Death Count, and they've been tallying deaths and injuries since 2010 related to Black Friday shopping. Since 2010, 17 people have died. 125 people have been hospitalized. And that's just, isn't it ironic that the day before is all about being thankful for what we have, not wanting or needing, but being grateful. But as soon as midnight hits, something inside of us returns us back to the grind where we're wanting and we're needing and we're no longer content. I already have a TV, but why do I feel this burning desire to get another one? I already own too many clothes. Why do I feel this primal urge to add more to my already full closet? Man, I've heard stories of people leaving their family gatherings early, people flying in from all over the world so that they could stand in line at Best Buy to get the best deal. And this is the nature of the world that we're living in. Because Black Friday plays to all of our capitalistic vices, a day marked by gratitude and contentment erased by a day marked by greed and discontent. But this is nothing new because nothing in our culture is designed to help us nurture gratitude. In fact, the opposite is true. So much in our culture is designed to rob us of our thankfulness and contentment. Capitalism thrives off of our discontent, right? It says you're missing something in your life. This iPhone, these brand new sneakers, Pokemon. I was talking to Gabby about Pokemon. And only when you buy this thing will you be fulfilled. And it's scary how good companies are at convincing you that you need their product, isn't it? The other day, Krista was showing me on Instagram this dancing cactus toy that mimics your baby's movements and mimics their sound. And so if the baby goes, wow, wow, the cactus will go, wow, wow. And I see this thing on Instagram. I never knew it existed, but the moment that I saw it, something in my heart said, I need that. 
And so we bought it. I never knew I needed a dancing cactus. It just came in this morning. We're going to open it after church. But do I really, why do I need a dancing cactus? Do I really need that? You know, even, um, I don't know if, have you experienced this? You're hanging out with someone. You're not even using or touching your phone. You're talking about something. Later you get home, you open Instagram. There's an ad for what you were been, you're talking about. Like we talk about fig all the time. And so somehow Instagram has picked up fig. And so all over my Instagram feed are like the medical scrubs called figs. It pops up all the time. And it's just like our, our, our world has gotten so good at making us believe that we need more that there is a discontent, and that is the nature of our world. Nothing about our culture helps us cultivate gratitude and contentment. Hear me, church, the enemy would love nothing more than to rob you of your gratitude because he knows how powerful it is. There's a study done by two psychologists, one from UC Davis and one from the University of Miami. And what they did is in their study, they asked each participant who was participating to write a few sentences every week. And so there were three groups in this study. The first group, they asked at the end of each week, write everything that you were thankful for that happened that week. The second group said, write everything that irritated you that week. And then the third group, they said, just write about whatever. They didn't, they didn't push like negative or positive. And after 10 weeks, they found that those who wrote about gratitude at the end of each week were far more optimistic. They felt better about their lives. Their happiness on a scale was way higher. But not only that, Vanessa, you'll love this. They exercised more and they had fewer visits to the doctors than those who wrote about only their irritations. See, practicing gratitude has been scientifically linked to significant benefits psychologically, emotionally, relationally, and even physically. It's powerful. And it's funny because all these secular companies now, they're, um, you know, they're pushing, they're hopping on the gratitude train. But listen, we've been preaching this since the very beginning. This is a Christian value, practicing gratitude, even when things aren't completely going our way. I want to read from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, and this is what Paul writes. Real short verse, famous one. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I used to think, man, God is just so thirsty for our gratitude. You know, um, at one of our family gatherings, there was another little baby, um, one of my nieces named Parker. She's only a year and a half, but she's at that stage where she kind of has stranger danger. And I don't know why, I'm just so thirsty for baby's affections. And so I'm like chasing her, like, can you give me a high five? She's like, no. And I run after her again, can you give me a hug? No. And I was just so thirsty for her affection. And, you know, sometimes I think we view God that way. That God is so thirsty for our gratitude. Like, God, don't we praise you and sing to you and thank you enough? Why do you need more? But how many of you know that God doesn't want you to give thanks because he's thirsty for your gratitude? He wants you to practice gratitude not for his sake, but for your own. He knows how powerful gratitude is in helping us live fully, thriving, and satisfying lives. But let's be real. It's hard to be thankful sometimes, especially in a world as bleak as ours, especially when our gratitude is constantly being attacked. And so today, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about three enemies of gratitude that attack us every single day. And these are three things that all of us deal with very regularly. 
And I want to read a, a quote from Pastor Rich Velotis. He says this, It's quite possible to say thank you 50 times a day, but not have a life marked by gratitude. Gratitude is not about discerning the gifts that are present before us. It also entails the steadfast refusal to order one's life around comparing, complaining, and coveting. So talk about the three deadly enemies of gratitude today, comparing, complaining, and coveting. Because practicing gratitude is more than just being thankful. It's actually a refusal to order our lives around complaining, comparing, and coveting. So we're going to jump into that. But first, let me pray one more time before we jump into the meat of this. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would see that gratitude is such an important part to help us live the lives that you want us to live. And I pray today as we talk about these three enemies of gratitude, these three things that wage war against the thankfulness in our hearts, that we would first take inventory of our hearts, that you would search us. And if there's any area where we're complaining or comparing or coveting, that you would uproot it and replace it with the heart of thankfulness. Open our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Number one, complaining. Gratitude focuses on what God has done. Complaint focuses on what he hasn't. In other words, gratitude is a knowing awareness that we are recipients of goodness. Complaining, on the other hand, is a result of a lack of awareness that we're recipients of God's goodness. In other words, God is always working good for us, but we're not always aware. And it's when we're unaware, unable to see God's goodness in our lives that we begin being tempted to complain. It's interesting because complaining is really easy, isn't it? Complaining is so easy, and it feels so good in the moment to complain about something. You're at the restaurant, and they're really lagging with their service. It feels so good to complain. You're in traffic. It feels so good to, it's like you're venting. You're pouring all this stuff out. But how many of you know that complaining never leads you to life? Name one time you complained for an hour straight, and you felt completely better afterwards. On the other hand, gratitude is really, really hard. And sometimes it takes everything within us to practice it. But how many of you know that gratitude, when we do practice it, as hard and as painstakingly it is to do, how many of you know that it always leads you to life? It's like after committing gluttony after Thanksgiving, which I know all of us need to repent of, hallelujah, You wrestle with this tension, should I go to the gym or not, right? Vanessa, you probably deal with this, all your clients. Should I go to the gym or not? And it's so hard to pick yourself up off of the couch to get your butt to the gym and to work out, but you know if you do it, you won't regret it. Church, I know it doesn't look like it, but I have never regretted a single time that I've exercised or worked out. You never regret it. It's so hard to do but it always leads you to life. It's the same thing with practicing gratitude. Complaining is so easy. It's the lowest hanging fruit, but it bears no life. Um, Just sharing a little bit of my daddy woes with you. You know, Zion is four months, and he is so cute. He is the cutest baby I've ever seen in my entire life. He started laughing a few weeks ago. He went, it's not long, but he just goes, "Ah, ah, 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 and we have this ritual him and I do where um, I hold him and I, I bring him to the mirror. And I, I made a version of the Mulan song for him where I say, Who is that boy I see staring? St-? And every time I do it, he goes, ah. 
He like does the biggest smile. Like I could do it for 20 minutes straight. He doesn't get bored of it. And he's so wonderful and so cute. But hear me, church. I'm going through a really tough time right now because baby will not sleep. So baby has no problem falling asleep in my arms. But as soon, like I'll, I'll rock him for 20 minutes and he's sound asleep. He looks like an angel. And the moment I place him on the bed and I remove my hands, he starts crying and throwing a fit. And so there are nights where I spend three to four hours just trying to get him down to sleep because every time I do it, he starts, my back is hurting right now. I could barely bend over because I'm on the medicine ball just rocking and trying to get him to sleep for 20 minutes, put him down, wakes up, got to do 20 more minutes. And it's, it's, a, it's hard. And, you know, this week, I, I literally hit rock bottom. I told Krista, I'm literally at the end of my rope. And I found myself in hour three of rocking him on one of the nights before Thanksgiving. And the whole time, I'm just complaining. I'm like, man, God, I love this baby, but why would you do this to me, God? God, this is so hard. Baby's never going to go to sleep. I'm going to be so tired tomorrow. How are we going to see both of our families this weekend? I'm just complaining for an hour straight. After an hour, I feel my soul is literally in the pits. And so I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll be more productive with my time trying to put him to sleep. Maybe I'll sermon prep. And so I started preparing for this sermon. And I'm like, oh, complaining. I guess I'm doing that. And so I said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to try, you know, practicing what I preach because who does that, right? But I'm going to do it, okay? I'm going to be a preacher that practices what he preaches. So I'm like, you know what, God? This really sucks. But I thank you so much for Zion. Really thank you for him. He's so cute right now. Um, I thank you so much for his ears, for his nose, for his eyes. I thank you. And even though he can't sleep well, he's such a happy, smiley baby all the time. And immediately as I begin giving thanks, I feel my soul lifted up, like literally night and day difference. You see, complaining leads us to death. But giving gratitude, practicing gratitude always seems to lead us to life, even though it's so hard to do. We find in the Bible that God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt and he wanted to bring them into the promised land. But the problem was, even though they had gotten out of Egypt, God still had to get Egypt out of them. And what Egypt was characterized was the spirit of Pharaoh. And the spirit of Pharaoh says this, it's never enough. You're never enough. You'll never have enough. How many of you know that the root of complaining is I don't have enough? We complain because we don't have enough time, enough money, enough energy. We complain because we aren't married, because we aren't promoted, aren't where we want to be in life. We complain because deep down inside, it's not enough. And so we see in the story, God miraculously delivers the Israelites from slavery, parts the Red Sea, leads them through and vanquishes all of their enemies. And for some reason, the only thing they could see is what God hadn't done for them. They begin complaining. The moment they escape, the moment that they're safe, they say this to Moses, at least in Egypt, we had meat. We're starving out here to death. And it would have been better if God had left us in Egypt to die. Can you imagine that? Just a few chapters ago, they're crying out to God. God, rescue us from slavery. Now that God had done it miraculously, now all of a sudden, they can only see all the things that they don't have. 
Um, y'all know the story of how um, I took a group of kids to Disneyland. It was their first time to Disneyland. You know, a lot of them were from the inner city. And part of our children's ministry, we raised money. and we, we went all the way to Disneyland. We raised so much money that we got them to stay at the Disneyland Hotel. We got them a full day, two full days at Disneyland. We got them the Storytellers Cafe where the characters come and give you breakfast. It was the greatest thing I've done in all of my life. And it was so fun. And so we, we took a group of kids down to Disneyland. We're like, oh, my gosh, we worked so hard. We raised so much money to get you guys this amazing Disneyland experience that you never got to experience in your entire lives. And so we get there. We go into the hotel. They're having a blast. Like even the shower handles are like Mickey Mouse shaped and they're spinning and stuff. They're having so much fun. We wake up the next morning. They're like, we want to go in the pool. So we're like, okay. So we, we spend a little bit of time in the pool. And then it's getting a little later. It's like, you know what, 9 a.m., 10 a.m. We're like, oh, we got to get to the park, guys. You know, we, we bought you guys two days for Disneyland. And they're like, we don't want to go. We want to stay in the pool. And I'm thinking, we raised so much money. Do you know what we had to do? How many grants we had to get? How many people we had to ask? How many fundraisers we had to do to get you Disneyland tickets? And all you want to do is stay in the pool? Finally, we got them out. We went to Disneyland. Halfway through the day, they're like, can we go back to the pool? And I'm like, you ungrateful little, like, come on. Do you know how much we did for you guys? And it's like the Israelites, God delivered them, did all these miraculous things, but the only thing they could see is the things that God hadn't done yet. And as a result of their complaining, what was supposed to be a 40-day hike turned into 40 years of wandering. Hear me, church, complaining will always lead you into the wilderness. It leads you into aimless wandering. You see, God knew that if they entered into the promised land with the spirit of Pharaoh, that spirit that says never enough, that always sees what God hasn't done, that even the promised land, something as amazing as the land flowing with milk and honey wouldn't have been enough for them. Can you imagine that? They would have found something to complain about even then. Hear me, church, until we rid ourselves of the spirit of Pharaoh, that spirit that says never enough, the constant need for more, even the blessings of God will look like curses to us. See, we think the problem is out there in our circumstances when really the problem is in here with our attitude. The spirit of Pharaoh is alive and well today. It says it's never enough. And when it's never enough, you can never rest. That's why when Pharaoh worked the Israelites so hard, because they could never rest no matter how much they built, no matter how much they toiled, how, many, how much sweat they dripped with, it was never enough. And so the answer to our complaining is gratitude. Gratitude kills the spirit of Pharaoh in us that says never enough. Thankfulness destroys our tendency to complain. And gratitude finally allows us to enter into rest, saying that no more needing, no more wanting. We are finally enough. And the question I want to ask you today is, are there areas in your life where you find yourself complaining? And what would it look like? How? different would life be if you changed your complaining into gratitude? So that's number one, complaining. Number two, comparing. Studies have proven how harmful social media is to teenagers. Why? They're constantly comparing themselves to others all the time. I do not envy, you know, I think 
us millennials, 87, 88, 86, whatever, we grew up in the best time because we grew up without social media, but we had a little bit, right? And so we got the best of both worlds. We were on AIM. I don't know what your AOL instant messenger um, screen name was, but mine used to be Socko415. I don't know why. Um, and all of us have, have those stories. But, but anyway, I, I feel like we lived the best of both worlds because we didn't have the constant pressure of social media telling us, you need to look like this, you need to dress like this, you need to be this successful, you need to have that. And as a result, teens these days, there's a sharp increase of low self-esteem, depression, and anxiety. But us as grown adults, we're not immune to this either. We're constantly comparing ourselves to others in our workplaces, on social media, and entertainment. We compare ourselves to how others look and dress, what others own, their successes, their experiences. That, you know, I was you know, rocking baby, you know, it was like 1 a.m. at night, and I was on Instagram, and I was seeing people traveling to Rome and France. I'm like, man, what kind of life are you guys living? And part of me was just comparing, like, I'm here in the dark, sweaty on a medicine ball, completely sore, holding baby, and these people are traveling the world, right? We're always comparing But here's the thing. The danger of comparison is always twofold. On one end, comparison can stir up pride, where we feel better about ourselves when we compare ourselves to others. Come on, how many of you have been there, right? They don't have as many followers. They ain't as successful. They ain't have as many friends. They ain't have this experience or that. But on the other end, comparison can stir up insecurity, where we feel worse about ourselves when we compare ourselves to others. The problem here, obviously, is that how we feel about ourselves was never meant to be in the hands of others. We were never meant to give others the power to make us feel better about ourselves or worse about ourselves. See, there was a moment when the Israelites began comparing themselves to other nations. They noticed all the other nations but ours, they have a king. They have a human king, but we don't have one. And they demanded, God, we need a king, a king to lead us. Even though they had inarguably the greatest king of all time leading them, God himself, Yahweh, they still wanted a human king to rule over them. In 1 Samuel 8, 19 through 20, they say, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. The irony was that before they noticed that other nations a king, they never needed one. As soon as they began comparing themselves to other nations, all of a sudden, we need a king. And it was only after they started comparing themselves that they developed this urge. You know, I tell this story all the time. I, 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 up until a few years ago, I thought my eyebrows were perfect. But I remember I was sitting with a group of friends, and, you know, they're talking about one of my buddy's eyebrows, like, oh, you know, you could use a little more filling there. Maybe you could get it done. And they're looking at me like, oh, Mickey, you too. And I was like, what? Up until that moment, I had never known that my eyebrows were not perfect. But after hearing that my eyebrows need a little more filling or whatever, all of a sudden I, I realized my deficit, my lack. And it's like the Israelites, they had no idea that they needed a king until they started comparing themselves to other nations. Unfortunately, setting a human king over them only introduced more corruption, more injustice, and more greed. They had the most fair, just, strong, and loving king in Yahweh, but they traded it for something less than. Hear me, church. While gratitude celebrates all that God is doing in our lives, comparison poisons us with discontentment about who God made us to be and what he's doing within us. 
And ultimately, comparison robs us of our joy. We derive a false sense of joy that's purely dependent on others. It's faulty at best. But once again, the answer to our constant comparing is gratitude. Gratitude allows us to take inventory of our lives and celebrate it. We learn to find joy in who we are and what God is doing in our lives apart from others. It cultivates a joy that isn't tied to the success or failure of others. Doesn't that sound refreshing? A joy that isn't tied to the success or failure of others. It's deeply rooted within us when we recognize God in our own stories. Are there areas in your life that you find yourself comparing with others? My challenge to you today is what would it look like to replace comparing with gratitude? And so number one, com- number one is complaining. Number two is comparing. Last one is coveting. To covet is to strongly desire something that does not belong to you. It can be material or it can be circumstantial. Maybe you covet someone's car or you covet someone's success or covet someone's sneakers. Like I'm always coveting, I'm coveting JP's fit all the time. He has the best stuff. Maybe you covet someone's marriage or relationship or you covet someone's talents or abilities. You know, someone got a promotion at work that you really wanted and you want it so bad. Or we all know that person that's so talented and gifted at everything. It's like, God, you couldn't have spared like one measly little talent from me. You had to give it all to that guy, right? We all know that person. Or maybe you covet that family that you see that's so close and so intimate and so loving when your family is so broken and barely hanging on. You know, we all do it. We all covet to one degree or another. But the danger of coveting is that there's always been a strong correlation between coveting and taking. Always a strong correlation between coveting and taking. The sin of covetousness, wanting what does not belong to you, has been the cause of war, of murder, of rape, Theft, adultery, broken homes, broken friendships, and broken lives. Long after the wilderness, King David, he's in the height of his reign. You know, King David described a man after God's own heart, and he was ruling successfully. And we all know the famous story of David catching a glimpse of Bathsheba, bathing on a nearby rooftop, and he began coveting what was not his. He began coveting someone else's wife, a man that he was called to lead. What happened? Coveting led to taking. He wanted her so bad that he was willing to do whatever it took to have her. So what does he do? He sends her husband to the front line, which was basically sealing his death and his fate, and he murders him, and he takes her as his wife. You go a few chapters, you could never imagine King David, shepherd boy David, a man after God's own heart, who when no one was watching is playing the harp and worshiping God in the fields, who is slaying Goliath, leading victories for the Israelite army. You would never imagine that he would do such a heinous thing. Why? Coveting always leads to taking. You know, you're thinking, okay, Pastor Mickey, I would never murder someone. Well, maybe that one person, but I would never murder someone. That's so extreme. But how many times have we trampled over others to get ahead? How many times have we sacrificed friendship and family to find success in our lives? How many of us have killed our own souls trying to obtain more? 
to be more successful, to have prestige and more wealth. You see, coveting subtly leads us to do things we never dare dreamed we would. Instead of trusting God would give us everything in its proper time, we take on the responsibility to take for ourselves what we covet the most. And we almost always leave a trail of brokenness along the way. And so the answer to our coveting, once again, is gratitude. Gratitude turns our focus away from what others have and places it on what we have been given. Gratitude reorients us to take inventory and find contentment in what God has given us in our lives. It says, I trust you, God, giver of all things, to give me what I need when I need it. So the question I want to ask, do you find yourself coveting what doesn't belong to you? And what would it look like to replace coveting with gratitude? Complaining, comparing, and coveting. I believe that God wants to speak to us about one, for me, three of these things. I think we all struggle with them, and they all get in the way of gratitude, but the answer is to overcome them by practicing gratitude. See, whenever the Israelites remembered what God had done, they prospered. It was when they forgot who God was, what he had done among them, who they were in him, that they invited destruction. And thankfulness always begins with remembrance. I mentioned earlier during worship, there's an expression of praise called todah. And it means to praise before the fact, to thank God before the miracle, to express gratitude before the answered prayer. And I really really believe that some of you are just one act of gratitude away from your blessing. Not because God's withholding it from you, but just because your life would be completely transformed and different once you do begin practicing thankfulness. But it requires us first and foremost to forsake the enemies of gratitude. Are you complaining? Are you comparing? And are you covenanting today? Church, I challenge you to choose gratitude, to choose thankfulness. So why don't we take a moment to respond? Why don't we close our eyes? And we're going to do a few things. To respond, we're going to have a moment of meditation. Right now, I want you to ask, out of these three enemies, is there any, any of them that have been pervasive in my life? Have I been complaining? Where the spirit of Pharaoh in me is just so loud saying, not enough, not enough, more, more. And you're unable to rest because you need more. You're always wanting, always needing. And as a result, you're always grumbling because there's so much that you don't have but you want. Are you comparing where your value, your view of yourself, your self-worth is so dependent on the success or the failure of others around you? Are you struggling with pride where you feel so good when others aren't as successful as you? Are you struggling with insecurity where others' successes and others' victories and celebrations make you feel smaller? Lastly, are you coveting? Are you trying to obtain things in your own power, in your own will, that God hasn't released to you in its timing? Are you coveting someone for their success, for what they own? Are you coveting someone's circumstances? Are you coveting 
what is not yours. Right now, why don't you just take a moment and just ask God, God, would you search me? Is there any of these areas that I need to surrender and to replace with gratitude? Just take a moment to do that. God, I thank you that you're speaking to hearts right now. Would you speak to us right now? Would we uproot the enemies to our gratitude, the enemies to thankfulness that would allow us to thrive and to live fully satisfying, content lives? Whatever it is, God, would you shine a light on it? Would we repent, turn away, and choose gratitude, choose thankfulness instead?